Hello again, and welcome to the Red Dwarf IntroCast, where longtime fans and newbies alike journey together into the deepest, darkest regions of space as we talk about Red Dwarf, episode by episode. Now we are actually talking about Red Dwarf, and it looks like to stay, which kind of surprises me. Anyway, yes. I'm getting ahead yeah. of myself. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. I'm Darren. And I'm Jonathan. Hello, Darren and Jonathan. Hello. Hello. Paul could not make it this week, and so we have two, count them, two special guests for you. Special in several Ooh. senses of the word. But... No. <laughs> hey! <laughs> uh, we have I fun. can be the loud northern one. <laughs> we have fun. Um, let's see. And this episode, we are going to be talking about Series 8, Episode 3, or 1.3, uh, Stardate-29er. Um, back in the red, part three, and we're going to talk about what that's about in just a second. But first, uh, Darren and Jonathan, I know you've both been on before, but if you want to reintroduce yourselves, uh, tell us your name, your quest, your favorite color, rank, serial number, and history with Red Dwarf. After you, John. Um, okay. Um, well, I'm um, part of the official Red Dwarf fan club. We, um... Uh, organize uh, a dimension jump convention every year and a half or so um, and um, try and get a magazine out as well and um, uh, also part of the uh, spectacular online fan site Ganymede and Titan uh, and have been called Sad Little Men by Norman Lovett <laughs> uh, and I've, I've been a fan since the 80s so uh, that's me and I'm Basically, the annoying person in the Facebook group that makes stupid jokes at everybody. Wait, that's um, my job. <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to get an Andromeda intro cast. It's been delayed a bit because I finally got a line on some veteran fans, so we're trying to see how that pans out, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway, everyone knows my story, so that'll do. All I, should right. point, I should point out I'll be a newbie on that cast. Yeah, and so will Rosie. Aww. That's That'll be fine. That's your story and you're sticking to it. <laughs> By the way, my favourite colours are claret and blue. Thank you. <laughs> oh, good. good, good. Um, let's see then. All right. Well, Shane, tell us what Back in the Red Part 3 is about. Back in the Red Part 3. The dwarf is faced two years into the brig for crimes against the Spacehawk. Realizing that their friends had more holes than Lister's underpants, they escaped to prove their innocence. Yep. That's what it yep. was about. Yep. Also, there are dance numbers, Woo-hoo! and there's more rape, and Because <laughs> <laughs> um, rape is apparently hilarious. Well, you know. <laughs> Um, like torture it all over again. <laughs> oh. while, while I tend to share your opinion on that, I will point out he hasn't had feedback from the first part of this episode at this point yet, so he hasn't realised that he's touched a raw nerve with his audience. Yeah, well. but you don't need to be told that rape isn't funny. Like, there's, there's maybe a checklist of things that you should possibly be aware <laughs> of as you're writing an episode. Yeah. <laughs> But the cultural standards of what is considered rape and what is considered fair game have changed since uh, since he was a young person. I know that <laughs> because I'm the same generation as him. Oh yeah. For example, the whole idea of um, getting person a drunk when we were young was 
fair game. Now it's considered mm. well and truly out of bounds. But I think what happened to Rimmer there at the end of the episode was pretty clearly. Oh, yeah. Yes. When we get yeah. to it, you're going to find <laughs> yeah. out entirely on that. So, oh. this episode. All right. Um, you know That's what? Let's, let's, let's just plumble through it here. Okay. So, oh. we begin with another flash forward uh, with Rimmer and Lister already in jail. Uh, some pretty good dialogue there with Rimmer's adventures with the other inmates and staff of the prison. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Yeah. And, uh... Yes? I, um... So, it's my my first point is about, like, one of the big things that was, you know, vaunted about this series, and Doug talks about this a lot, so wanted to go back to the classic thing, and especially wanted to have those classic bunk room scenes again. Mm -hmm. And I've always had an issue where... (laughs) It's like it's not the setting that's you know of the old series. It's not, it wasn't the setting of the bunk room that made everything funny. It was the writing and the performances. And like while this is probably one of the better scenes of the episode, but how do you think it it hold you know holds up to you know say a bunk room scene in series two or you know? Yeah, um, yeah, I don't either. I mean, there were, there was some funny dialogue here. It wasn't a, a especially comparatively, it wasn't a bad scene. Um, but no, I don't think it has the feel of the original bunk room mm. scenes at all. I think it's a difference in context. Like at the beginning, it was there were roommates, you know, like they were roommates and they weren't in prison. But it was like like when if you whenever you've had a bad roommate and you were stuck in there with them, it sort of feels like prison. But you can always go off and drink with your friends. And now now it's literally prison. And so, yeah, there, there's a different feel to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was always the choice of being utterly alone and going slowly cra- mad by yourself or spending time with someone who you don't necessarily get on with. And they always had to choose the latter. And but that was it was there was still a choice. Yeah, it's far more interesting to think, um, OK, women and Lister, don't technically need to sleep in the same room mm-hmm. uh, in one episode they decide not to but you know why have they chosen to why are they still why are they still persisting in being roommates and rather than oh they have no choice and that's it yeah. mm-hmm. all they are is 100% antagonistic with each other rather than the more um, yeah. interesting dynamic they had before yeah I think I remember in season one I was all like they have a whole ship to themselves mm-hmm. they could get like the captain's bunk and you know, get like they could have any room they wanted, and they're still rooming together. I think part of it was okay, who's going to leave, and who's going to get, you know, what they've considered home for. Yeah, like a war of attrition. It's just like, <laughs> well, I'm not leaving. This is my room. Oh, I'm not leaving either. <laughs> yeah. There's a few points I'd like to make on that. Um, for a start, the, the 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 nature of the relationship between the actors has changed. In the first couple of seasons, you had the underlying angst from two young and ambitious actors mm-hmm. trying yes. to compete with each other who didn't really get along, and that came through in the performance. Now they've both grown up to a large extent, and that angst isn't there anymore. So there's no underlying tension between the two actors to reinforce the the arguments. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think I see what you mean there. Yeah. And it would have worked much better if we'd have had more grown-up Rimmer 
mm. you know, rather than because Rimmer isn't back to factory settings. It's more like he's he's pretending to be, but everyone knows that he isn't. You know. And this is the actual Rimmer, not the simulation, so he's got more freedom in how he can act. Mm. But I think you'll find it's a lot closer. The original Monk scenes were a lot closer to a prison setting than you, you might think, <laughs> because they were originally based on a show called Porridge, which mm. was a, a show set in a prison. And the most popular scenes from that show were Ronnie Barker, who was a, a lit comedy god in England, interacting with his cellmates. Yeah, luckily at the time, Rob and Doug look at that and said, oh, yeah, let's try and make it as funny as that, as well as taking the sort of setting and the idea. Whereas, yeah, by this point, and it's kind of a, a general feeling I have um, for these first three episodes. I'll stick my thoughts to just the first three. I think that it, it's, it takes everything that was there before, strips out a few nice little metaphors, makes them literal, and, <laughs> yeah. um, and just kind of, I don't know delivers it in a sort of, sort of a sledgehammery sort of a way. Well, and there's even recycling of dialogue. Like in the second one, there was the spin my nipple nuts and like, yeah, it was really funny the first time because it was unexpected. But if you're just going to recycle the jokes, yeah, I mean, there's... And I tell you what, the... yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. Yeah. Sorry. Um, well, I'll tell you what that is, is. It's one of those lines that has already by this point been on a lot of t-shirts um, and um, so then it's catchphrase. Yeah, it's a, it's a cat, it, which it's is not attempt, funny. Yeah, it's an attempt <laughs> to just <clears throat> okay. This is a funny just because it's funny, you know, rather than you know it works in this episode. Let's just chuck that in there. Like the um, callback to the bulb gag in part one. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a, a metaphor for these episodes, really. <laughs> yeah, I have to I have to ask Keith Nanjo this. Uh, now we're back on Red Dwarf, and now we're back in a, quote, comedy setting, unquote. Are we? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Where was the comedy? <laughs> well, look for it, and it may come one day. Um, okay. Um, do you think it's actually lost something now, Rob Grant's gone? Um, you know, I've been I've been pondering that very thing. Like in series seven, yeah, it was a little bit different all around, and so I guess it was a little bit harder to pinpoint where his influence might be missing. But yeah, for series eight, I was I was hopeful. The first episode I thought had some flubs, but mm-hmm. it also it, it I think the concept, like Angela was saying in the car, uh, yeah. I, like it has a lot of potential. Um, getting back to Red Dwarf and having more people for them to interact with, uh, finding new avenues of exploring the characters. And, yeah, I think we were both kind of hopeful with the first episode, even yeah. even despite some eh moments. But two failed, and three. this third one just sort of sealed the deal. Um, yeah. Something is definitely missing. And it feels... I like the self-referential humor. I like callbacks. But it feels like it's being done really clumsily here Mm -hmm. like it's just hey this really worked in series two let's have cat do this again because Mm. that's what cat does it's almost like it's been written in a panic you know yeah yeah garfield hates mondays (laughs) (laughs) i think it's crossing the line between shouting out to the fans and basically pandering to an audience yes Mm. you know yeah yeah it's sort of fan service Mm. and that's exactly what i was going to use actually and, you know, 
you know what would be great fan service? Pretending that your fans are adults, or at least, you know, intelligent children, um, yeah. for the children who are watching, and actually making good TV, rather than saying, hey, we know you like this, wink, Is we it's... like a bit of that, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it feels like they were trying to find the formula that made the original series work, and I don't think the original series had a formula. I think it Not just was cobbled together from duct tape and bubble gum and somehow came together and worked better than it should have. Um, military gray. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, I don't it's much better when it's ocean grays. Seafoam grays. So, let's see. In this scene, following the trend in the first couple episodes here, we have another... Um, nation-specific jab. Uh, explain the Dutch royal family mm. joke. Are they just really inbred? Or? I'm not familiar of, of, with the 1998 Dutch royal family. Were, were they not good-looking? Was it a... You care less about your appearance than a member of the Dutch royal family. Well, to start with, practically all of the, the European royal families are massively inbred. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um... That's not an insult. That's just a statement of fact. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that was the um, unsustainable thing that they had going on. But I just think it's a, a, English people enjoy slamming the Dutch and the Belgians. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. it's true, you know, that that they're on a list along with France of countries that it's okay to mock. A lot of people, you know, have that have that um, uh, attitude. I guess <laughs> sort it's of like, like Canada for around here. Yeah. It, it, it's not, it's not um, nasty particularly, or maybe it is against the French. Who knows? But um, well, it's not nasty until you actually talk to someone from there, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, right. Yeah. I actually like our Dutch royal family. <laughs> and histor- historically, when Britain was competing for leadership of the world empire type thing, it was the Dutch they were competing with because France had already largely imploded by that point. Yeah, and we've had Dutch royalty as well, so mm, yeah, uh, yeah. But I think I think maybe they're just maybe a bit flamboyantly dressed. I'm not sure. Maybe it's something to do. With, I know that the, the Dutch have quite um, interesting sort of official dress, military dress, things like that. Well, maybe it was it's a, just it was a, a trouser press joke. Um, so flamboyantly dressed would actually be counter to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, maybe maybe anyway. they wore trouser presses. They've just been, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I They've think, I think maybe that a lot more lately and it, and it doesn't always work. I think in, in this case it might be, he had the idea to, to insult a Royal family. And in mm. the end he went with Dutch because the cadence of the line, the, the, the beats all fit. And it is, it is quite a nicely constructed sentence. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it's got the right beats and it, it's just funny sounding. It's just when you actually think about it, it doesn't actually make sense. Like Welsh fish and chip shop or um, <laughs> yeah. Belgian TV weather girl or just TV. You know, it, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't work when you follow it to its conclusion. And I will also point out that Queen Beatrice had a quite a reputation for not being stubbornly prideful about mm. things, too. Mm. So maybe it's just that she's a safe one to attack. Yeah, she needs taking down a peg or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, going along with the theme of odd references in this scene, um, now, there have been, I guess, scattered across here and there, but 
like we have references here to, and maybe it's because this is this is the Rimmer. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, but like references to to the the Bible and uh, President of the United States, like they've gone into very 1998 humor to be a couple of centuries in the future there. Mm. I mean, and now the show has, yeah. that's not a completely new thing. The show does that occasionally. And, yeah. you know, we've always accounted for it by cat watching lots of TV and whatnot. But um, I just found that a bit bizarre. Like they could barely remember Jeff K's name. And now we're going to make <laughs> topical political humor. Unless, yeah. of course, the United States still exists in, in Red Dwarf time. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and have particularly unsavory presidential types. Well, that's true. I, I always assumed that the United States maybe didn't exist in the same way, um, mainly going from – you've read the first book, haven't you? I have, yeah. Just little, little you know, um, shared currency, dollar pounds, stuff like that, just right, kind of yeah. suggests a kind of Firefly-esque sort of joint, yeah. um, you know, uh, United Nations, I don't know. But, yeah, it does seem weird to think of, you know – those sort of boundaries 200 years in the future and they've talked about the concept of god before but rarely just in and very specifically christianity yeah that's true it's it's i guess it's robin doug um writing from what they know you know i guess growing up in this country you know um a lot of exposure to christianity so that's you know that's where you you go for um any comment maybe on you know stuff like that and there's also the interesting thing well at this point now Rimmer's religiousness has been flipping and flopping like series mm-hmm. one he, he suggested he wasn't religious i think oh yeah definitely there's a moment in time slides where he says oh uh, it was a lovely service lister you should have come which suggests to me that you know he went to the chapel or something and and so now and now he's kind of you know making jokes it's just there's an inconsistency there it's yeah well, well i think he would go to the chapel to look more impressive to any officers who are at the chapel true that's true yeah, yeah. with and his then, family he might have just went to practice hopping <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, that's true. It's a social thing. You have to, be, you know, seem to be at church maybe, and uh, he just, you know, it, it still does that, even though no one's there to watch him. <laughs> yeah, he. They made it very clear at the beginning. You know, he doesn't believe in God. That would be silly. He believes in aliens and quagars. Yeah. Which, oh, absolutely. we have not heard about aliens anymore. I didn't even think about that. He hasn't mentioned aliens in forever. Mm. He's, I think he's let it go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm... but I like. That. Well, a- after the gar- the garbage pod, then. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm at, 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 um, the Welsh dimension jump. Um, Craig Charles made a joke about um, Rimmer insisting that um, space core directives be ruled out in his contract. I'm going to say he did the same with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but with the why pick on Christianity? I think Dara O'Brien, oh, no, the Irish comedian, puts it best. Um, he often does religious humour. He's an atheist comedian, um, and he got got criticised a lot. Why don't you ever pick on Muslims? And he, his explanation, and I'm cleaning this up a lot, the British people will realise, the two reasons I don't do Muslim humour. One, you know stuff all about Muslims, and two, I know stuff all about Muslims. <laughs> 
it's, um, yeah, it's getting yeah. comedy from what you know, yeah. But no, I, I didn't even feel like they were particularly picking on Christianity here. In fact, the concept of a, of a violent priest beating the crap out of Rimmer cracked me up. But no, just <laughs> like the, the references to a Gideon Bible in the Red Dwarf universe was like, huh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, that seems quite... Gideon's just kept going. Yeah. Of course, you know, yeah, the it's... first the first seven words of, of scripture placed by the Gideons, please do not remove. <laughs> the, the joke just doesn't work though because it's I thought it he's was funny. following the oh you mean the show's the Gideon joke. Okay. yeah it's, it's, it's he, um he's yeah. following the guy who owns the bible the bible the guy who owns the bible isn't following him yeah so it just fails on its first statement well i mean yeah the the, the joke is that you know every single hotel room you'll go to pretty much will have one yeah um, because that joke has never been made yeah ever. yeah exactly. and, and also this this joke just it's a classic example of one of the main problems uh with these first three episodes is there'll be a joke and it might be quite a good joke and then there's an explanation of the joke and that, okay and then there's another explanation of the joke and it just it ends up being about five seconds too long with you know yeah you know, and then it, the, the, an example of that is at the end of this scene. Then yeah, the blindfold's supposed to be for me. Yes. Yeah. Like really? okay, we right. got it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and again, I think it's a problem of they're not giving their audience enough credit. Yeah. Absolutely. Like they're thinking, oh well, we have to explain these jokes because they're not so bright, but we are. So, yeah. yeah well, even a German Shepherd has an IQ of 60. And I think <laughs> these are jokes are aimed below that. Well, you know, Germans are very bright. Oh, wait, no, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be. No, that's actually a, a Craig Charles stand up joke. Um, oh, is it? Yeah, oh. when I was young, I grew up in a really tough neighborhood. We had this German Shepherd used to come over and do his business in our yard every morning. Occasionally, he brought his dog with him, too. Nice. <laughs> I see. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably about as good as Craig Charles stand up gets. Yeah. <laughs> do you think this do you think this entire first scene was to allow uh regular viewers who haven't seen the first two episodes? I mean I'm, I'm talking way back in 98 here when, before the internet went big. Mm-hmm. Um to allow the viewers into a, to a, a um low sense of security. Like it's a setting they're comfortable with. Yeah, just the two of them. Yeah, mm. I think I think that might be it. But the, the the problem they have is that even now, I've I've still seen this episode quite a lot of times. I'm still a little bit fuzzy on whether they're you know jumping all over the place. Like you know you have two flash forwards. I think start of this episode, start of part mm. one, and then you go back, and then you've got to deal with what's in the AR machine and what isn't. Yeah, and it all feels a bit messy. It feel it, and it, to be fair, it feels like what it is, and that is. Um, a, a story that has been cut up, reworked, extended, mm. um, desperately to fill time. And unless I you know, have I... filed, filed by the Vogans, lost three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and unless you have a really brilliant director who's doing that with purpose, say, you know, your Quentin Tarantino's of the world can tell a story out of order all day long. That's great. But if if you're doing it to fill time or doing it you know, w- without clear motivation, then it gets pretty hackneyed pretty quick. And the sad yeah. thing is, this is um, Ed By returning to. Actually, yes, no, he'd, he'd been back for seven, but this is this is Ed By and 
there was a, you know early 80s late 90s he was genuinely what you know, just one of the most exciting directors on tv because mm-hmm. he was doing sitcom but he was you know he'd worked on the young ones so he'd you know he'd obviously had like you know yeah. paul jackson as his um mentor and he was doing really exciting stuff all the split screen stuff and a lot of stuff that he pioneers on red dwarf and now it just it just feels very by the book and you don't really get any you know feeling of mm-hmm. oh yeah that's that's ed by yeah you know yeah well, <laughs> they've done this successfully before thanks for the memories um they did a, a story out of time and that worked okay yeah i'm blaming ed's wife two years directing her show sucked all the comedy talent out of him <laughs> you can't blame ruby whack for everything you can try you can, oh, I you can try <laughs> yes <laughs> might not be fair but i can <laughs> Oh, let's see. We have ragged on the first five minutes for 25 minutes, so let's... <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, then we get our unreliable narrator coming in. So, Angela had half-theorized this, and I think we had both sort of hinted at it in the last episode. As this episode was starting, like, they're in the cell, and I pause it, and I say, I think I figured it out, love. I say, I think that uh, Captain Hollister was suspicious of Rimmer and the envelope that he, he wasn't even going to invite him to the party. But if Rimmer has a good idea, he, he made him lick that envelope because he thinks maybe Lister was telling the truth. But then this opening scene and it's and Hollister's telling exactly what he did, not mentioning Rimmer. And I'm thinking and then it keeps showing scenes that Rimmer is in. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm like, OK, well, I guess I was wrong about that. And then at the end, then they change their mind and tell us again. Um, I was I was a bit aggravated at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I yeah. still adore Mac. I adore Mac McConnell. Oh Everything yeah. Think he's been in. Oh yeah, he's awesome. He's he's utterly charming. Yeah. Oh my! When we, he when we found out how he got his position, <laughs> the I think I laughed for two minutes. I'm like, worried about why. Why would he put that story on record? I mean, that's very yeah. odd behavior. Oh, that's yeah, a good but point. It's still my because he's Dennis the Donut Boy, not a trained captain. <laughs> Captain's I, I, I broke many, many commands today to become. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm just an oversensitive fanboy, but I, I, I've always had a really big problem with how they just destroyed his character in that it w- for the sake of that gag, you know. Um, How did they destroy his character? Well, I, I, I like the fact that he was... I mean, he is a very, very different character in this series, I think, to the first two. I mean, he's in the first two, he's very straight, very... Um, he's a convincing sort of figure of authority. And and they've, when, when, you know, when he comes back, there's, there's a lot more buffoonery that they've that they've just thrown into him that just wasn't there before. And I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, even in comedies like this, I like to sort of believe in sort of the integrity of the, of the structure. Like, you know, the captain is the captain. There's nothing, there's nothing hilarious about the captain because, you know, that's what the main characters are for. And JMC, you know, should be a serious company. You know, it's just that the comedy happens to be happening within that. I don't know. Oversensitive fanboy mode, but they they had already had him in a chicken suit getting beat up by Rimmer. Oh yeah, yeah, but um, and and he assigned the least competent member of his crew to assign so- to repair something which could kill the entire crew. He's not <laughs> a competent captain. <laughs> and he is competent. He just didn't go through the normal channels of operation. He sort of did a um, how to succeed in business without really trying. <laughs> you know, he's 
utterly competent at what he does. He's just, you know, not... And it's hilarious because Rimmer always thought, you know, you get the right connections and you get the right everything and you end up, you know, get getting to be captain. But then the actual captain is like, he's played the system. <laughs> um, I, can I say this without getting my head chewed off? It's almost gone from the... Uh, Captain Janeway of the first two seasons <laughs> to Captain Archer in season eight. <laughs> oh, I don't know okay. if I'd go that far. Now, I oh, I have not seen the later seasons of Enterprise, so... Yeah. Besides, I thought that only went to, like, five seasons. It is. Enterprise. Four. Okay. What? And it had two short seasons for three and four. <sighs> I'm on a Star Trek page. I have to keep up the date on them. <laughs> <laughs> or the star date on them. <laughs> <laughs> so let's um, Star date's oh. not official yet. Uh, yeah. We uh, really then don't want to talk about this. <laughs> Captain Hollister does entirely too much recap of the previous episodes. And if they were going to introduce new information that Rimmer was still was actually in the AR, they should have done it here. Um, but they didn't. Uh, because that would have justified having the long, boring recap. We're like, okay, we saw this scene. Yep, oh, they were I mean, sure walking slow on that corridor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, any excuse to see that marvelous Reservoir Dogs scene again. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That's why I watch Red Dwarf. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they, this scene would never sort of fit too much new stuff in just because it's so blatantly and painfully um, a big sort of big chunk of filler i mean they, they edited this all together for a special on the on the dvd and it three episodes come in at just over an hour yep that's a lot of stuff <laughs> that, that got yeah. cut a lot of recap a lot of uh, unnecessary stuff and this is the worst offender i think yep that it is because i'm skipping through three pages of script now that have no new information <laughs> so <laughs> um Let's see. Okay, then we get our blue midget scene from the opening credits. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be fair on this one. On the one hand, you've got Danny John Jules, who's a brilliant dancer and choreographer. He doesn't get that many chances to do his crazy dancing. They have a talent there. They wanted to use it. Okay, I get that. Yeah. What I don't get is putting the special effects money into this to make the blue midget dance when they're obviously scrimping and sabbing in other areas. Why is this the priority? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, this oh is a, I found this, out. Go ahead. Sorry. This is another season which you're going to find out has massive issues with budget allocation. <laughs> so you were going to say, Angela? Yeah, I found out uh, who the uh, ground control woman is. Yeah. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, Heath, do you remember um, the second uh, Eccleston episode, The End of the World? Oh, she was the tree woman. She is the tree woman. Yes. Lovely. I was and like, are we talking... who is that gorgeous woman? 
Are we talking old, pretty but cold, or the Jamaican woman who looks like she'd actually be more fun if she's not, even if she's not quite as attractive? The, the first one, the pretty but cold one. Yep. The hot one. Yep. The, uh, the end of the world's got Simon Day in it as well, a different Simon yeah. Day, who was Randy Navarro in Holoship. Ah. There is a great deal of Red Dwarf and Doctor Who crossovers. Um, yeah. I would imagine so. That, that crop up, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because England yeah, we, only has three actors. Yes. We, we invented our game last week, uh, Two Degrees of Doctor Who or, or Harry Potter. <laughs> and, of course, the dance was actually choreographed by a Queeg. Yep, Charles Organs. Indeed. Okay. Oh, cool. There's um, a slightly wounded, um, I think it's the Red Dwarf 8 script book, and Doug talks about this scene. And oh, it might actually be on the DVD documentary. But anyway, is is clearly addressing the fact that the vast majority, I would say, of online Red Dwarf fans detest it. And he was slightly wounded. I thought it would be a nice set piece for Danny, um, you know, a nice set piece for Charles as well, and also Chris Veal, the FX guy. What he doesn't say is, I also thought it would um, take up five minutes. Yes, (laughs) with one idea. Well, I don't think um, it by itself is the problem. I think it's just a combination of a lot of different problems, and that makes us less patient with the scene. Yeah, like I I'm think thinking about hey, how impatient I was about the five minutes of them with the polymorph and the underpants, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, it, it's sort of you know a joke that's taken for a long, 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 long time, depending on physical humor. But there were other good things going on, you know. Yeah, and it kept, this 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 series was also at a time where CG was on CG use was on the up, and yeah. it was over. It, it was used not in appropriate ways, you know. Like you know, what would this scene be best for? Models or CG? It was just throw all the CG at it. And clearly, Chris I mean, Chris Veal is clearly very talented. He did all of this CG stuff pretty much is on his own. There was a bit of BBC team in there as well but clearly you know there's a lot of work he had to do but it just wasn't up to snuff not with what we're what we expect with red dwarf and yeah. you know you have these all these fans that are completely in love with the physical effects of the show mm-hmm. yeah i wasn't even particularly bothered i mean it, that would have been hard to do with models and and, and probably oh. would have cost a lot more even how that. I would want the meeting to go is, oh, we can't really do this with models. Let's not do it. And let's never talk <laughs> about this idea ever again. But yeah, I was I was more bothered by yeah that that's where their resources went, and it wasn't because yeah I would you know what if if you have an episode it's running short and you if you find a good excuse to have a cat dance break, okay I I I'll, I'll let's just slide with that one. But we're also going to blow half of our budget on the the dancing blue midget. Mm, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of bucked the trend a little bit. I love the blue midget dance right up until he snaps his fingers and the other four start dancing as well. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the, right? The first half is plausible. It, it's possible, not plausible, but possible. Maybe he programmed that into the computer. How did he do it with the others? Well, because he was in a dream. Yeah. yeah, which which actually That's, makes a lot of sense because what what are cats' dreams? Him doing song yeah. and dance numbers. Yeah, bit too G six machina for me. Am I right <laughs> in saying, literally, like, yeah. Jonathan, that the blue midget was a proper model that was scanned into the computer just like the new red dwarf? Yes, it was. Yeah, the um, 
I think before the series started, in fact, this would have been for remastered, so Series 1 yeah. 3 remastered, they got the model unit, or the BBC Visual Effects Department, as it was. They they built this red dwarf, and they kept telling them, make it bigger, make it bigger, make it bigger, until it got to the point where they said, well, it's now too big for us to film anything in the motion capture studio. We can't actually use this as a filmable model anymore. So they scanned that in, and they'd also had, um, I think, Bill Pearson um, build this new... Um, blue midget as well and again they just thought let's just all go cg and scan it in mm. so great models like really nice models and they weren't used and i think that might be the source of a lot of people's frustrations with mm. the cg here is that it it, it was quite a missed opportunity because it's a gorgeous model mm. that red dwarf model i won't tell you what its status is now it, you know mm. <laughs> but um, they are but, renowned for not taking care of their models yeah or actors there's yeah. plenty of stories to come. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, these, these beautiful models that just, they lose fidelity, obviously, you know, once you, you scan them into, you know, a 1998 computer. Mm-hmm. And in these days, they're not really spending a lot of time concentrating on meshing shadows and things, which is always a dead giveaway yeah. for a special effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, big, big, bright models, no sort of, there's no depth to them, really, but. Better than Series 7, so hey. Mm. <laughs> now, I will say, uh, this scene did do one nice thing for me, which is I have often wondered, uh, him having spent a good bit of time in the UK and whatnot and what he might have kept up with, I've often wondered whether our good friend Joss Whedon was a Red Dwarf fan. Seeing Cat in that blue outfit, doing that dance and that tap number sort of confirmed to me, uh, without giving away too much about upcoming, you know, the, the upcoming musical episode of Buffy, um, but it sort of confirmed to me, especially given who the actors were involved, that maybe Joss Whedon mm-hmm. was watching Red Dwarf at this time. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And there's there's a little reference in there in Buffy as well, isn't there? Nothing mm-hmm. spoilery, um, but yeah, there's he's definitely aware of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just having a little giggle because I nearly gave Jonathan a heart attack with a joke the other day about weed. <laughs> <laughs> is it yeah, is it clean enough for the air, or should we should you tell? Oh us yeah, I just pretended I didn't know who was talking about that song. Oh yeah, me and me and, me and Joe were at Ser- <laughs> we're at Serenity for forever Josh last weekend Eden? at Heathrow, and mm. Joss Whedon turned up just at, at oh, the were Saturday you there? night disco. Yeah. Oh um, my god, dude! <laughs> Good were you for like you. there? There? Like, yeah, did you we meet were. Him? We um, well, as much as anyone met him, he. Um, um, it, well, yeah, well, he, I know that people were trying not to, you know, pester him. Yeah, everyone, uh, everyone was amazing. But yeah, we 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 were sat down and suddenly Jewel State and Sean Mayer just walked past with this guy with a, a, a scarf wrapped around his head. <laughs> it's like, okay, we should probably follow them into the disco room. Let's see what's happening there. <laughs> and then we sat down, and then the next minute, this very familiar man walks past and me and Jones did a double take Hi. and then proceeded oh. to freak out quite a lot. <laughs> um, posted it everywhere and Darren said, uh, who's Joss Whedon again? And so <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. See, here, here we were psyched about meeting Xander in an elevator. You saw the man. Hey, no, mm-hmm. that's not to be scoffed at. Xander in an elevator, uh, that's good. <laughs> Xander in an elevator teaching a little boy his numbers. Oh, can, can, with... <laughs> can you show me where, where the three is? Good job. Cool. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Xander. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, and so we, we get past that scene. Uh, I don't know. If, okay, enough about it. it we, I think we've we've pretty much covered it. 
Um, let's see. Rimmer, meanwhile, is very brazenly flaunting about his knowledge of uh, uh, crew details, which, why can he remember this but not exams? Because yeah. <laughs> he's an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, Thornton, that was the uh that was the actor that I pointed out last time that I thought was was just particularly good for what seems like a one-off extra. So maybe we're going to have a regular character here in Thornton if they're actually going to be staying in the prison. Oh, uh, yeah, I honestly thought that they were going to be off the Red Dwarf, maybe trying to escape Red Dwarf, like running away on a ship by the end of this episode. I did not expect... I expected them to catch up to where they were in the cell, and then the escape. I did not expect them to be still in jail. So. Mm. That surprised me quite a lot. And not pleasantly. (laughs) Well, at least you have an answer to your first question when you were watching. It's not a flash backwards, it's a flash forwards. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, we figured that out pretty quick, yeah. And, and as soon as he said, uh, you dumped it all over me, and then as soon as he found the viruses, I knew that that was going to come into play. Mm. Although that also screws up with how the viruses work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because why did, one, can you take it topically, two, not a single male crewman gave him a glance in the previous two Ooh. episodes, something that we discussed. And then, now? Anyway. More. Sorry, go back to the dancing um, with the midget for a second. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I've just got. A, I've actually just got a quick quote from Jenny John Jules. I'm sorry, guys. A no, <laughs> quote: A dancing, dancing thingamajig, a la Will Smith with the alien. It's a bit of a send-up of that. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy that. Yeah, Danny, read your lines. Don't give us your opinion on comedy. <laughs> no, I think that's a Danny John Jewel show business fact. That the people who listen to the commentaries know what I mean. Oh, yeah. It reminded me less of the uh, the alien. It reminded me more of the Ed 209 from uh, mm-hmm. the Robocop movies. You can't use stairs. Which I saw uh, in the previews for the new Robocop movie. There do appear to be Ed 209s hanging around. Yeah, speaking of um, superficial connections to things that have come before with no actual <laughs> substance that um, connects to the original. I'm awesome. Trying, I'm prejudging, I'll admit. But I'm no. trying to with, withhold judgment. And in fact, in the previews, they seem to be focusing more on the struggle between his humanity and his machineness, which I think is going to be the way to go with it. I'm just, yeah, it's probably yeah. going to be a disappointment. I'm trying to be optimistic. Oh, we'll see. Just got burned so many times. I know. I mean, at least Michael Bay's not making it. So that's one thing <laughs> that's made. Hey, at least if we I found say- out that the Ninja Turtles are not aliens. <laughs> yes, Derek? Well, they never were. Um, I, I think a general rule of thumb is if you liked it as a kid or a young teenager, don't expect to like it when you're an adult because it was focused at that age group. Hey, that's why I you still liked them. watch... Some of the original things that I watched as a kid and I can get an appreciation for. I just don't yeah, like said, that they take it and reboot it. And yeah, that's the, yeah, that's that's the, the point. Case. You're not the audience. You're not the audience they're looking at anymore. Mm. Whereas you were then. 
Well, they should Remember because once... I'm willing to pay money for it. <laughs> well, you're still you're still technically in their interest zone, but I'm not. Once you get past 35, Hollywood movie producers in general have no interest in you. Oh, apparently don't I say that. I turned 35 in three years. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm afraid that's that's just the demographics of the industry. It's, it's the 19 to 35s are the key market. Oh, let's see. What's the key yeah, market no, for, for this Red Dwarf? Twelve year olds? I was going to say twelve years uh, up, upwards. Yeah, this this That's this specific it. one, yes. In general, I would tend to. This. <laughs> in general, I would tend to say Red Dwarf was aimed at the university type market, but yeah, the standards drop with Series Eight. Hmm. Uh, let's see. We get the scene where um, Rimmer uh, is deleting references to the the deal. Uh, they realize what's going on. They think that they have to escape, and uh, then we get some claymation because reasons, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Spending more of that budget, guys. Well, I don't have. Can we just skip this scene, please? I don't even have a blind stab in the dark into exploding this. So, okay, no. everyone, if you want to save your brains from this claymation, watch the uh, episode of Community and their claymation episode. The Community it Christmas does everything special. right. What this one does wrong. Yeah. And also, okay, it doesn't make sense. Cat was figuring out the puzzles, and okay, well, okay, that's proof that this isn't uh, reality. But but it's still Cat, and it's still Cat's brain. Wh- yeah. Why? No. There what? are no outside influences. You know, why, th- there's yeah. literally no reason why he suddenly. It's 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 just so you can have the gag. Like, Aha! It's definitely fake because Cat's clever. Everyone. Oh dear. Yeah. They, they didn't reprogram mm. Cat. No. It reminds and me of an episode of Pingu. That came yeah. on right after Novik Rao not be going to Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if there's one thing cats are extremely good at, it's escaping from things. Well, that's mm. fair. Oh, you see, if they would have explained it with that logic, I, I yeah. would have totally bought it. Yep. Yeah, but I'm, I'm actually criticizing, and they're, they're accusing Cat of not... He shouldn't get it because he's stupid, but that actually fits within the cat's strengths. So I'm saying he shouldn't get it because he's not a he's not a puzzle solver. But if they would have put it in terms of, yeah, but but he's good. He's a cat. He's good at, at escaping things. Yeah, okay, I can buy that. I can buy that. They should have said it. <laughs> uh, I don't think they thought the of scene. it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're giving it far more thought than most most of <laughs> Hot Dog's time ever, <laughs> ever did. But that's the nature of the beast of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. When we went to, uh, at, at one of our previous Dragon Cons, we were hanging out with some authors of uh, Star Wars novels, the Expanded Universe guys, and one of them fixed uh, Episode 3. Mm-hmm. Like, we were complaining about uh, Padme dying Died of a of broken a heart, because, you know, yeah. females, that's what they do with all of their emotions and hormones. They die of broken hearts. That's, that's Yes. Um, and yeah, and that was a you know people were upset about that. And he said, you know, why didn't they just have her so critically injured, and then have the robot say, well, with her injuries, it's a wonder that she survived this long. She must be hanging on for her children. Ah, 
that yeah. fixed Mama the scene. Lady. That improves yep. the movie by like a good 20%. <laughs> One line. Anyway. Also, you could improve it 100%. Palpatine is evil. <laughs> I love that line. No, you, you, can, you can prove that movie 100%. You have it be a, a weird, drugged out fantasy of an <laughs> overdosed midichlorian Luke Skywalker. <laughs> no, no. I will not have midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, um, midichlorians part of the drug <laughs> power ketchup what's power ketchup is it what, like banana ketchup? i have no idea nor yeah. do i i, d- I don't it's think it's not even a reference for you no, no it's just it's just nonsense i have I, honestly i've never been so baffled watching an episode of red dwarf the interchangeability <laughs> between ketchup and sauce but it shows that doug naylor doesn't eat ketchup because he doesn't realize they're not the same thing the consistency is completely different. Oh. Wait, oh, so is, is power sauce a thing? No, power sauce, as in the source of your so. power? Yeah. Oh, yeah but, but. Sauce and source sound very similar when done I see. So. But the problem is there's no power sauce. Like, there's, there's nothing that's actually a sauce, you know. And why was there ketchup in an igloo? And yeah. What, yeah, why Why are they there? Why, 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 why? Why? Uh, I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm just trying to explain the pun. Yes. Well, True. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely a pun. Said it was the screensaver, but why would they be characters in a claymation world in a screensaver? In Why not just it have be. it as like the pipes, or have like flying toasters all around? I was going to say in 1998, the fav- my, uh, everyone's favorite screensaver at my school was um, the macaroni dancing the macarena so they should have just done that it still would have, it would have been funnier than this <laughs> or the hamster dance oh god yeah that's amazing <laughs> to be quite blunt robert llewellyn reading out the hong kong phone book would have been funnier than that scene <laughs> at, at my school um a couple of uh year 11s hacked into the uh, Core uh, network room and made every single computer in the school screensaver an episode of oh bloody hell, what was that god awful TV program called Shane just Red Dwarf percent more British there <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't Red Dwarf cool, blimey what was it uncanny <laughs> <laughs> um, um, oh god I can't I, I, God, what okay. year are we talking about? We're talking 95, 96 time here. Oh, God, there's so many to choose from in the terms. <laughs> Can you narrow it down from awful? <laughs> Made it, Beavis are bad. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was not awful. Oh, that, was, that wasn't awful. That was great. It was absurdist. It was a little awful, but it was also great. <laughs> hey, yeah. it made Daria happen. It did. Daria was Daria a thousand was times better, awesome. but yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking Greek to me. Yeah. I don't understand it. Uh, let's see. They get out of the random claymation thing, and uh, then the sexual magnetism virus decides to be 30 times stronger than it has been in, previously in the episode, and infects Kachansky. Okay, you gotta say that Chloe Annette was hilarious here. She Absolutely. was just going all out. I want to have your babies. That's my quote. I'm going to repeat it when we get to quotes. 
Mm. It's actually, it wasn't only the audience she fooled too. At one point, she actually fooled Craig Charles into thinking she generally had the hots for him that she was acting yeah. it that well. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean, um... Oh, okay. In the... Re- yeah. She was in the doing the whole... Episode. You yeah. mean you mean Chris Berry? No, no, in the in no. the no in the previous episode. Oh, 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 okay, okay, I see. There's a famous mag up which I didn't mention because I didn't want to spoil it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, in the um documentary comments that he actually for a moment thought she was really into him because she was just doing it so well the whole uncontrollable like, passion. Wait, Chloe and that can't be can't be this good an actress. Oh wait, she is. <laughs> that's the subtext of what he's saying, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, what did, I, what, what did I say previously? Is what I'm saying. Hmm. Remember, remember back. Remember when I when I said why did they play CP Grogan with an unattractive actress who couldn't act? Yep. <laughs> I don't know where you got unattractive from. I yeah. don't either. She is she gorgeous. Thought. She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous in season season eight. I was referring to her season seven, but that's she's just me. Equally gorgeous, she's gorgeous in season I seven. No difference. Okay. They put her in ridiculous red jumpsuits, but yeah, they acknowledged that as well. They said she had a hard time with the wardrobe, and it was entirely their fault. And thank goodness they've gotten rid of the whole red thing with her. She looks mm. much better without that. I mean, I get, I sort of get what they were doing that. But no, 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 no. Let's see. Um, okay. And then, okay, and then okay. This makes no sense. Uh, yeah. So we find it. We were trying to figure it out last episode. Our theory about the luck virus and the sexual magnetism virus's interaction. Our theory then was that it was the luck virus wearing off and the kickback effect, the reverse effect, which we have not yet seen um, here. But it Mm -hmm. was the reverse effect that made it so he was unlucky and didn't get lucky with Kachansky in episode two there. But no, in this one, it confirms that it's just that the luck virus cures the sexual magnetism virus. So do they have they watched the show <laughs> do, do they remember their own rules? Maybe you can only have one virus at a time. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, as you said, the pathology yeah. makes no sense here. Yeah. Okay. Whatever works to move it forward there you as go. slowly as yeah. possible. Also, yeah. uh, I, I'm not sure if we were aware of this up until this point, but it turns out that uh, Norman Lovett is bald. Ha! <laughs> 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 Wow, that's hilarious. No, his head so much equals a moon. What? Do you know? Oh, the worst. The worst thing about it is that is every now and then he Norman Love has this look on his face after he's done a punchline or the the end of that that moon joke, <laughs> and you just like, like, why huh? are you pleased with that? You, you you're, you're <laughs> smiling. Yeah. Oh. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit like Craig Charles in the first two series used to telegraph his jokes a lot before he started learning his trade better uh-huh. Uh-huh. like he'd have a distinct tone of t- change of tone of voice when he was doing the punchline mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know I did think that the 
set up later for when Ollie was giving his qualifications was funny. But okay, yeah, that, that, that actually worked. But the visual gag was less, less funny. I, I, while we're sort of in the very general vicinity of the escape, if you're going to have that complicated a plot, do not have your bit character explain it in a two-second snippet. Because I'm, I've known Red Dwarf fans that have watched this hundreds of times and never pick up on that explanation. That all of this is Holly's doing. The whole thing from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. I always forget about that. Because um, I realise that I don't actually care. And so I always yeah. forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, why did... Here, here's one for thought. Um... The nanites very consciously did not recreate anything that was already in existence. Hence, uh, no extra Lister, no extra Gachansky, no extra... Well, Cat and Crichton, I guess, wouldn't really have been part of it. But still, okay. So, And apparently they didn't create a replacement Starbug for the one that they crashed. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a missing Starbug and there would be no trial. Why is there another Holly? And they even said in the first episode that they've lost Holly. Yeah, yeah. When, oh, hey, Rim, Rim when the woman was back in the second episode, that's the first thing he does to impress Captain Hollister. Is I've, I've figured out a code to restore Holly. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay, so it's that. Rimmer's fault. Well, the 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 big smart Holly is his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the one with that wonderful, wonderful special effect of a giant forehead. Mm. Oh. Yeah. And <clears throat> not only that, but I think they've, they've kind of misunderstood the character a little bit here, because, like, well, I, let's say both incarnations of Holly, they're simultaneously really clever and also really stupid, but that's all part yeah. of what the one character, and it, and it and it and it's all part of, you know, each each line of dialogue. But here... They're separating out, separating the two um, mm. features, and it's just you get a really boring, intelligent Holly and a really unfunny, funny Holly, and mm. yeah, it's like separating Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. <laughs> well, no, maybe it is a metaphor. And if they <laughs> were going to have, if they were going to have another Holly, why not Hattie with a hair slicked back? You know, a twelve thousand dollars version. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That would have been clever. Well, obviously they couldn't have it in here, but we're clever. <laughs> yeah. It was far too well, good now, an idea for them to have for Series 8. That's a brilliant now, one idea. Jo- Sorry. No, that's my comment. It's a brilliant idea. Oh, yeah. One joke I think did work was their um, uh, convincing Rimmer to come with them. Mm. Their method of convincing him. Yeah, which I will take uh, that because that's some of the best quotes yeah, in the. <laughs> it's 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 probably one of the best like because I have problems with the resetting of the character mainly because it's quite inconsistent the way they write him anyway, mm-hmm. um, but you know removing the character development from the from the other one. But the problem is is getting when you know when they're getting to know this Rimmer, like it's the backdrop is the rest of the crew are there as well. It just it doesn't feel like. Until right now, they have to force it. It's like you are part of our group when, you know, because it's not like he's forced to do that, like, because there's no one else around. He could just, you know, go off and just be a normal crew member. It's, there's no, 
interesting position that he's forced into there. It's just, oh, by the way, you're our Rimmer now. Um, we're probably going to forget about resetting your continuity now. Let's just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Messy, let's say. Messy. He's their pet Rimmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, we can tell you what you're like. It's like, oh, the other Rimmer used to always... Um, Rimmer. Always do oh, this. Rimmer. <laughs> 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 And it's really Lister saying that. Rima, <laughs> my Rima, yeah. Oh my God. Gives uh, the best kisses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the. Well, well, I think that's the only scene where most of the jokes actually hit in this yeah. entire episode. Yeah. Um, the whole Holly, that, like I said, they. I said this, I think, really when they brought on, um, when they brought on Hattie, but. They've always been really inconsistent with the Holly amnesia thing, anyway. Yeah. And or the uh, computer senility. senility, yeah. Um, like there wasn't really any mention of that until, and they, they did it as a joke with the Queeg episode, um, which yeah, they were trying to play off that he was senile, but then haha, jokes on them, he was just having fun. He's not senile, but then. They brought on Hattie, and they started making more of a deal about it, which, I, you know, we kind of yeah. criticized a bit. Um, and now they're bringing Holly back, and they're going with it, you know, full... They're, they're going f- uh, full force with it. So, I don't know. It's just like, we have Holly back, which is good, but they've really changed the character enough to where I'm just a bit irked with them. I think mm-hmm. the um, when when they started doing the computer senility stuff with Hattie, that's basically the beginnings of them going, oh, we don't know what to do with this character. We need to we need to force something. So they they went with the senility, mm-hmm. and then obviously they got rid of the character because they knew they couldn't fit her in comfortably. They couldn't you know couldn't fit that character in, um, and they did it for probably good reasons. You know, it was a shame she wasn't there, but. I can see their point. And then they bring back Holly and oh, surprise, surprise, exactly the same problems apply. And so yeah. you need to force the issue again and just throw whatever you can at the character. And it, mm. it degrades the whole character. Really. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Holly, Norman Lovett was worse in this than he was in I Love It. <laughs> oh, and Andrew uh, and Heath, don't bother. Save yourself some the headache. Don't watch it. That's a good one. Norman Lovett had his special. own show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> that'd make bottom bailing comparison. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually seen I Love It. I am, I've, I've watched three episodes. Oh. I've watched three episodes. I've never seen anything actually happen on it. No, that's similar to iCarly, right? <laughs> um. Just basic <laughs> basic synopsis. Uh, Norman Lovett is an incompetent inventor who lives with a talking dog. Okay, that sounds oh, awesome. Um, and the talking dog is lo- very rep- is reminiscent yeah. of a bad Are, is there of Is there a hole in the wall yeah. and do little like yeah. two-foot-high creatures live there? No, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's the bad aspects. that have all the good aspects of Fraggle Rock. <laughs> and with, with a Jim Henson show, you forgive the dog for being a Muppet. This show, you know, this, the dog is a Muppet, but there's no real reason for it. So what you're trying to say, they're, they're actually both Muppets. <laughs> yes. Are you saying that we're all Muppets? They're heretical Muppets. <laughs> so, 
there's a hand. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> you hard to leave that joke alone, too. <laughs> I should I should point out how for the episode i am quite suffering at the moment i've had a tooth extracted the other day and i'm and then and then and i am in a bit of pain at the moment so i haven't said much this episode but i'm well, here i'm gonna be in your boat next time yep angela's <clears throat> having her wisdom teeth out come friday yep yeah. three of them mm. i've got no teeth so i'm safe <laughs> Let's see. Okay, uh, we find out, yeah, yeah, they're gonna escape, blah, blah, blah. Um, Blue Midget is doing a silly run thing, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, of course it doesn't know. I mean, does this entire episode make sense? <laughs> no. You should be used to it by now! I mean, come on! I think, you're like, <laughs> oh, it's in, it's in artificial realities, uh, it's a it valid is. excuse, but it's, but it's, it's completely unsatisfactory. Like, uh, you know, when has anyone been satisfied by, oh, it's not real, so it doesn't matter? You know, you just can't exactly. do that. Even even if it makes some sort of logical sense, it's not very satisfying. Yeah. It works for a single scene, not for an entire show. Yeah. Or if you have, a, like, an alternate reality that things aren't happening, then it has to affect the characters in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how, yeah, they've knocked twigs that, wait a minute, how can the cat make Blue Midget dance along with all the other Blue Midgets? And why is this Blue Midget running in a really exaggerated way? That's not how Blue Midget takes off. You know, there's there's no comprehension there. They're just, you know, there's all this nonsense in the backdrop and it's not actually acknowledged. Yeah. Oh, and the second ground controller was quite unattractive, wasn't uh-huh. she? Uh, yeah, but I kind of suspect she'd probably be a lot more fun than the first girl would be. <laughs> Obviously, that's a superficial judgment, but <laughs> I'll go back to something. I'll go back to something Ruby Wax said um, when the the skeletons were were revealed for the episode Crichton, and they say you can't write for women. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he really can't. But there you go. Uh, Chloe saves him, I think. Yes, um, Chloe and Hattie did oh, a yeah. lot to save their characters. I should, I should say actually that second ground controller was made history, and uh, she was actually one of the first black actress, actresses to be on a mainstream UK television program. Cool. Really? I really hope that wasn't Red Dwarf. I'm hoping it was like Aww. 20 years before then. No, it was, it was Dixon and Doc Green. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say, there's been quite an established history by the time Red Dwarf started. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's passed on now. Mm. That's a shame. Mm. 60, died 61 after suffering chronic kidney problems. Shane, stop bringing us down. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was really good though. Oh, she was very yeah. good. She, yeah. What's the point of anything really? Would <laughs> <laughs> anyone care if we all just sort of went away forever? You're right. <laughs> I could kill myself. Um, let's. See. Sorry, we've been watching IT Crowd. 
after after watching okay. this episode of Red Dwarf, we're like, you know what? Let's watch some good British comedy because we're not <laughs> getting the fix we usually get from Red Dwarf. Um, what series of IT crowd are you on? Well, we've seen the whole thing. Uh, oh, right. but yeah. We've started over. So okay. the first yeah. again. Preparing for the they're new gonna, special. Yes, they're going to make a, a finale special, which is nice. That's not far off, I think. It's... Yeah. Have you Couple seen um, Richard Aiello's um, foray into Hollywood with, um, I think it was Neighbourhood Watch or something like that. They were chasing aliens in we've their not, we've seen oh, the, yeah, yeah, I saw the previews for it. Never saw it. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. Um, he's releasing a film soon that he's directed, and I forget the name of it, but it looks excellent. It's, about, um, it's based on a play, maybe, or a book about someone who meets his doppelganger and oh. the not hilarious hijinks that follow. Um, and oh. it's um, notable because it's got Chris Morris in it, and Chris Morris hasn't acted since the IT crowd, I don't think. So mm. that's worth keeping an eye on. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. I'm quite impressed by his talent. I think he's he's remarkably talented. Ailey. Yeah, and I never been... pronounce his name right. Yeah. Richard Ayawadi. Ayawadi. I think for IT crowd, then, you know, he's good in season one and two, but it's really season three that he hits the Moss character the best. Like, they figure out what they want to do with him. Is it the first episode of series two, I think, is the, the, the day out episode when they go to the theater? Yeah. And I believe, yes, I was at, I was at the recording for that one, and I have honestly not laughed that much i mean i'm not the biggest <laughs> it but the, it was on a vt and the reveal of him being behind the bar must being behind the bar was just one of the most sublimely timed cuts it, was, <laughs> it, it doesn't get any better than that for me I, I, i'm the same i'm not generally a fan but i think it has brilliant moments like yeah. the the morbidly phobic person about um women's body parts coming up with a wonder bra <laughs> That's just a brilliant story idea. <laughs> so anyway, um, on the next episode of IT IT Cast, we're going to. <laughs> awesome. I was going to say, uh, Richard Arawadi starred in my favourite um, comedy program of all time, Garthmonger's Dark Place. Indeed, it's a, a good one. Indeed. Yeah, he's he's absolutely at his best in that as well. I think. Mm. I, I don't I don't think he's ever topped that performance. That was brilliant he was in I love, um sorry, i love the credit shot of him with like the the gun and he looks like this casual british gentleman it's hilarious she was like a candle in the wind unreliable <laughs> <laughs> oh let's see um you see okay. what you've done doug we, we, we're giving pro- props to your competition, mate. <laughs> yes. we, uh, if you're not careful, we'll be watching Hyperdrive next. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I, did, I, I did promise uh, if we watch Red Wolf USA, then I would review an episode of Hyperdrive. <laughs> How many yeah. guns were being held to your head when you screwed with that? <laughs> Oh, okay. a bit of background here, yeah, we, we, gotta I, we gotta wrap this up, guys. Um, yeah, sorry. 
So, so we find out then that they are, in fact, innocent of the original charges, but guilty of brand new charges in trying to get Rimmer's help, which was a rather silly thing for them to do anyway, seeing as how they knew that they were going to be mind-scanned and found innocent. But anyway, why not? Um, why not? This is where they miss their lawyer, though, because a, a lawyer, any lawyer that had done one day of law school would point out that no crimes were actually committed during the, the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not only that, but Kachansky, Cat and Crichton had absolutely nothing to do, to do with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, no crimes were committed in the mind, but Lister made the deal with Rimmer before they went into AR. Yeah. Where's your real-world physical evidence of the deal? Well, he showed a video of it. Um, inexplicably, but Captain, Hall- be- Captain Hollister in, uh, in, in Episode 2, in his Hollister's Log... There was a, a flashback video of that. Now, did he? I don't know what was going on with there. So maybe they were just videotaping them in the cell. Okay. And Rimmer has also got a claim for entrapment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Because yeah. um, the the courtroom, he had to explain that he was going to issue the drug, and he was explained yep. how it worked. Rimmer got no such warning. Mm. Yeah, consent is a big issue in this episode <laughs> <laughs> on many levels. Many, many levels. And can you really be in trouble for something you've done in a dream? But That's it wasn't point, in yep. the dream. It wasn't in the dream. He made the deal with Rimmer before they went into AR. Yeah. Yeah. The, the deal was real. The viruses were real. And crucially, it was only those two. <laughs> yeah. The um, others are getting punished for Lister's actions. Yeah. 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 But anyway, okay. we, we, we're running out of time, so I won't we labor are. the point. Yes, okay. So, silliness there. Um, they get back to reality, but not the episode back to reality. That would be good. Um, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, they go to jail, and then they get a really, really mean um, warden, because, you know, what mm. would you expect? And. Then, and then Rimmer gets prison raped. Yes, Lister makes sure that yeah. Rimmer gets prison raped, even though the virus had no effect on men up until that point. Yeah. Oh, well. <sighs> yeah. Just, well, uh, so, yeah. I mean, are we setting up for a season of prison break here? I mean, is, is that what... And I know you can't tell me, but... I oh, was, I prison was, break. I know. <laughs> I was excited. I was excited for a new direction with the thing. But if it's them being in prison the whole season, that's not going to be terribly interesting. And I... Yeah, they're not even in... I mean, they are in space, but they're in the middle of the ship that they can never go outside. And yeah. so... So they're back yeah. on Red Dwarf, but it's not Red Dwarf as we know it. It's the secret floor of Red Dwarf, where they have tons and tons of prisoners. Because yeah. mining ships do that. Many times the amount of people they've got in the actual crew. Yes. Yeah. They at least have the prisoners do a work release thing and help with the mining. Yeah. Who's that guy? I don't know. Um, he seems nice. As far as we can tell, they've only got three guards. Apparently <laughs> so. <laughs> well, maybe there's like scutter snipers everywhere. <laughs> There's like a there's like a deadline. You cross the line, the snipers, the scudders take you out. That's oh, why that's I watched dark. the last John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, John Wayne's pretty dark. Yeah, true. So um, that's so I've got, that's... So I've got a question for you, uh, Heath and Angela. 
Okay. Now, you, now you've seen all three parts. Yeah. Um, as an overall story, um, what do you think of it? As an overall story. Oh. Had potential. Disappointing. Uh, yeah, a few good moments. I was excited near the beginning, but it just no. It should it shouldn't have been three episodes. It it was it was a letdown. It was a letdown. Yeah. The three-parter of Power Rangers we watched last night was better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and half the half the actors were there with cutscenes. A good third of the episode was the robots putting themselves together. Yeah, but that was still better. Well, that's why it was better. That sounds awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. Well, that's you've heard what we think so far. Um, let's pause for a minute and uh, give a shout out to some of our friends at the Garbage Pod is a wholly remarkable book. Perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ganymede and Titan. More popular than Norman Lovett's autobiography, better selling than 53 More Things to Do in Chloe Annett, and more controversial than Ulan Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where Ian Lee Went Wrong, Some More of Ian Lee's Greatest Mistakes, and Who Is This Ian Lee Person Anyway? And in many of the more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, the Garbage Pod has already supplanted the great Andrew Ellard as the standard repository of all Red Dwarf knowledge and wisdom. Because, although it has many omissions, contains much that is apocryphal, or at least wildly inaccurate, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important ways. First, it is slightly cheaper, and second, it has the words foaming twat inscribed in large, friendly letters on page 133. Buy it now at ganymede.tv. And we're back, and it is time for some feedback. Let's see what glowing reviews the fans had for this episode. We start, surprisingly, with Jonathan, who didn't realize he would be on when he wrote this. But I think he summed up the thing nicely. If this episode was a person, I'd punch it in the face. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Phil likes the donut boy thing. Um, yeah. I'm there with you, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I expect the final gag involving the magnetism virus will leave a bitter taste right there, Phil. Um, oh, uh, question: Why didn't Kachansky uh, explain the theory of relativity? Exactly. She's smart. And it's right like up she their went field. To school. Yeah. yeah. What? No. She uses the no. equation frequently. An astrophysicist navigator would have no need for the theory of relativity. <laughs> Come on, guys. She's just there to look pretty. And holds holds um, Anyway, Paul Hadsley liked the blue midget dance when he watched it on TV. The week the ep aired was the first week. Uh, he got a modem for his computer. Oh, Yay. Logged on to the old Red Dwarf forum. And realized he was yeah. the only one who liked the Blue Midget dance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't absolutely hate it. Yeah. Anyway. I, said, I enjoy it right up till he clicks his fingers and the other four start dancing. That's yeah. when it crosses the line for me. But for and exactly the reasons Heath pointed out, Danny's a brilliant dancer. Good excuse to show it out. Yeah. 
Uh, he goes on to say, uh, rest of the app has extended too far. Syndrome, Egghead Holly wasn't thought through much. Um, heh, Egghead Holly wasn't thought through. <laughs> it was all a dream. Is always annoying. Rimmer realizes he's not the first Rimmer. Hollister is funny throughout, etc. But again, another flash forward, which ruins the shock of the ending. <laughs> you, and, you realize why Rimmer was so mad. Yeah. Ewan uh, says that the midget dance was a head potential is a good idea, but it was badly executed. Um, like parts two, uh, part three had little merit and was a confused mess. I think that describes it quite well. Um, <laughs> let's see. Part, oh, yeah, then Ripper, Rimmer gets gang-raped as the denouement, which truly puts the horrible icing on an already inedible <laughs> cake of an episode. What a lovely metaphor. Yeah. Uh, Nick Ridley likes the blue midget dance, even though he doesn't like the lack of shadow during much of it. <laughs> uh, technically, it's more relevant to the plot than the tongue-tied dance is to Parallel Universe, even though if it's nowhere near as good. Uh, now there's mini breakdown over its reception in this series 8 script book with the look but yeah the ending of the episode has unfortunate implications <laughs> that's no. a good point about the relevance of it actually it is ever so slightly more relevant than tongue tied um, but tongue tied is good <laughs> <laughs> and the thing no. with tongue tied is they filmed a lot more than they actually put into the episode mm. yep. Can I just qualify that the broadcast Red Dwarf version of Tug Tide is good? Yeah. The commercial release version is not. Uh, Russ liked the Major Tom gag. I did, too. That's nice. Uh, uh, Sam Highland says, The worst of the, flea, the three, uh, the Blue Midget dance could have been tolerable if it had ended after Blue Midget kicked Cat in the face. That's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Egghead Holly's weird. Uh, like the revelation that Hollister um, rumor buggering about with the AR simulation. I'm glad that's, you know, the only buggering that you like. Hollister <laughs> yeah. bit. It's an unfortunate choice of words, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and everything else just feels like filler and contrived. Yeah, Stephen makes an interesting point by saying that he was a bit disquieted by uh, Lister no longer being the last human alive. Mm. I really hadn't thought of that, uh, even with Kachansky around. Yeah. I mean, that was always sort of a theme that they they like to harp on a bit. Yeah. yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't seem very moved by the fact that, you know, there was now many more humans around. He should be quite pleased, really, despite the fact he's in prison. Well, he wasn't always, very sad at losing them all, so... Yeah. <laughs> and, and I also liked the, the, the concept that the last human being alive was one of the biggest bums and losers in history. Mm. It's just such a outside of people's expectations. Yeah, it just and, keeps... What's likely to happen? Just keeps uh, telling Crichton and Cat to moisturise him. It's really odd. <laughs> and third reference of the episode to the same episode of Doctor Who. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, for now for now mm. what does Paul say here oh yeah must be hard to think of new episode ideas in a universe with no god no aliens and no other humans to create drama There's <laughs> can't keep running into gelf and simulants forever before that becomes tired 
Fair enough, Paul. I like. Yeah, it's true. There, there were a lot of gelfs and a lot of simulants, and things randomly mutating themselves into magic. Yes, uh, partly because Shane asked me to, but also because I have come to realise that no one can do my accent better than me. So here we go. These are my opi- my me my opinions on Back in the Red Part Three, and I'm sure. I hope that you have the same impression as me in that it's Smag. awful. Uh, the cats dance with blue midget. Trying to impress a woman is just terrible. Um, and I agree with, I think it was you and Ancorn who said in the group that Blue Magic should kick him in the face. Again, all I can see is is just another woman joke, another way of saying, "Oh, this is what men do to impress women." <laughs> Admittedly, they don't normally dance with a giant spaceship, but the premise is the same. Um, <laughs> and then there's Rimmer, who, as we know I absolutely love, but his actions and character in this episode is just awful. It's it, it's having Chris Barry back, but absolutely ruining every, everything we liked about him in the first place. He does a very good job with what he's given but he can't gel with the crew and that's I'm assuming what we loved about him in the first place or what I loved about him anyway um, and I will carry on and say that the luck virus jokes are pretty much running thin for me you can't keep holding on to that or can you I don't know. Maybe you can. And I will finish by saying that they've completely ruined Holly. Holly was a fairly good balance between being completely stupid and far too clever. And now they have chosen to represent him in both ways, which I think is awful but on a good note I will say that Heath and Angela stick with it it gets an awful lot better and if that is a spoiler it's the best kind of spoiler so deal with it bye thank you all for your feedback um well if you want to send more feedback, uh, I haven't been doing this the last few episodes, I've realized. Yeah, so if you want <laughs> to talk with us, then maybe send us an email at uh, the Red Dwarf. No, wait, hang on. At the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also get on the Facebook group and, you know, post lots of funny things there. And we'll, we will read over those because we like Facebook. It is a fine tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also the Twitter, and you can Twitter at us at twitter.com slash Red Dwarf Intro. 
And then uh, if you have a complaint about the show, write it on the back of a $20 bill or 20 pound note <laughs> and send it, <laughs> send it to, no, we don't, we don't have a physical address. Um, all right. So it is time to rate this puppy. Uh, let's see. Who was the actual, let's see. I think, uh, Darren, you, you were the first official guest. So why don't, why don't you rate first and then Jonathan? Okay. Um, I generally like this better than most Red Dwarf fans, but I have to put a big qualifier on that. That's because I'm switching the brain off and not thinking about it when I'm. Well, no, wait, it. wait. Let me let me ask. Do you like the episode more than you like most Red Dwarf fans, or do you like the episode more than <laughs> most Red, Red Dwarf fans like the episode? The latter. <laughs> Although I probably like the episode more than most Red Dwarf fans like me. Aww. That's probably true to say too. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm kind of. There were a lot of great ideas, and virtually none of them worked. There's only one scene I saw which practically everything worked. So I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. Mm. And I'm not even going to bother coming up with a rating system. The, 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 show, the episode doesn't deserve it. <laughs> you, you thinking through that rating system would be more thought than they put into most of the scenes, yeah. Basically, yes. Jonathan? Oh, um, just, just for the sake of it... Um, Five out of ten passionate Kachanskis, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, obviously not a, a fan of this episode. And I, I try when when it comes to Red Dwarf, I judge it on the scale of Red Dwarf. Like I don't judge it against other shows that I might like. Um, I'm not sure why I do that. It doesn't make much sense. But So my rating will be quite bad. Um Basically, it has uh, it has all the problems that the other two episodes had, um, but with the added problem that it it wasn't meant to exist. It's 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 a, a filler episode one that had to be included very quickly, and it it's just empty. It's it's there's a few nice lines, but they they just get buried under waves of irrelevance. So. <laughs> My rating is one out of ten, uh, impending sense that everything you've ever held dear has been destroyed in front of your astonished face. Wow. <laughs> so that's how I felt at the time. I'm not saying whether this is the absolute nadir for me or whether there's other episodes that um, achieve the same thing. So, but it, it's it's um, it's definitely down there. Can they go next? I'm sad now. Go for it. <laughs> uh, I agree with everything that Jonathan's just said. <laughs> um, it is awful. Um, I can't do a rating system in episode, so I'm actually going to rate it 2 out of 10, me hitting my head against the wall <laughs> after watching this episode. Love. I, um, it's <laughs> that, yeah, exactly that. I wanted, I wanted it to be better. I feel betrayed. That's it a good word. should have been better, but it feels like it's talking down to me, and I've never felt the show has done that. I may have had some problems with the craft and the writing, occasionally and some of the characterizations but i've never felt like 
the show thought I was stupid. And now I feel like the show thinks I'm stupid just a bit. So, yeah, I'm... I'm going to give it a three out of ten. And now I know that I won't get hated for giving a three out of ten. <laughs> a three out of ten um, uh, problematic jokes about consent. <laughs> um, I will, um, yeah, it's already been said. What can you do? The last episode I gave a four for mediocrity plus rape jokes. Uh, this one I'm going to give a three for the same. Uh, in fact, worse than mediocrity. This this was a mm-hmm. bad episode. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing we're dancing around. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we may have hinted at this, but this episode is rather bad. Um, I'm going to give it three out of ten disappointed lab boys. <laughs> It's bad and it should feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) And while we're on the subject... Tell this episode it's ugly and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) While we're on the subject of ratings, uh, over at the Silver Survey, it was uh, ranked uh, 59 instead of 61. Wow. Uh, a poll of about 250 fans as well, so it's a fairly broad consensus, you know. Um, it's as accurate as we can we could make it, but yeah, not very and, well liked. And G&T does not have a culture of automatically hating everything new either. It's not like one of those types of fan sites. Yeah. Alfie yeah. also thinks it was very bad. <laughs> Well, so um, that's what we thought. Uh, let's yeah. do some quotes. Because, believe it or not, there's probably some pretty good quotes in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, Darren? Him come with us? Man, that's so dumb I should have said it. <laughs> uh, I have one. Um, and it might require a bit of editing from uh, Shane. Okay. <clears throat> Go ahead. If I say who I think's responsible for this, it'll get cut too. So I'm not going to. But it's him. I know it's him. You can bet on it. And if I ever catch up with him, I'm going to cut off both his smegs with a blunt knife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so gorgeous that there's six months waiting this for birds to suddenly appear wherever oh. I'm near. <laughs> I had that one. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for another one. Sorry. Okay. Somebody else go. Oh, those nostrils. They're driving me crazy. I've simply got to have them. Hold her back, Crichton. Help me. Mr. Cat, sir, put the lift on hold. I want his babies! <laughs> the faces uh, she was making, too. Let's see. I will go with uh, Head of Safety. That's a hell of a title. But what did he actually do? He sought out danger. He sought out peril. Then he advised us the best way to run away from it. Head of safety, five buttons. I'm in. <laughs> We're giving you a second chance at life and an opportunity to screw it up in a new and completely original way. Yeah, we, we laughed at that one. Yeah. That's good. Uh, let's see. 
Einstein discovered the theory of relativity. Where did he discover it? Was it fossilized and stuff? <laughs> the theory of relativity is... What is the theory of relativity? Oh. To be honest, I think Holly's comeback would have worked in any other show, but by, by Red Dwarf standards, it's so such an obvious gag that it just fell flat. Mm. I actually wrote in my notes for that gag. Um, oh, where was it? Theory of relativity joke is one of the worst things in human existence. <laughs> I've calmed down a bit now, but... Well, I mean, that one... Like I said, they're trying to do callbacks. Um, yeah, the, the punchline that it's the theory you only tell your relatives, that I thought was lame. But... Yeah. That the moment there with with Rimmer, you know, it was a callback to the, you know, the the big now speech, you know, now, and it goes on from there. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Something, something, something brilliant, unforgettable. Yes. Yeah. Um, Alfie keeps uh, doing the start of the now speech. Yes. <laughs> now. Yeah. Now. I mean, I thought that 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 felt like a, a better attempt at uh, a callback to an old gag. Um, and then they sort of ruined it by over-explaining it with Holly. Because that's yep. what they do now. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you know what? I'm not. I, we've, we've hated on this episode. I'm really, really hopeful, though, that it's going to go up from here because I can't see it going down. And, mm. I mean, I don't think they can just have them sit in prison and complain about prison the whole season. I don't think it's that's what's years. going to happen. Yeah, but there's, they've got to escape or something. The positive note for me, and probably worth two marks out of my five, is Mac McDonald. There's a few scenes mm-hmm. which he just yes. rescues. Oh, yeah. He's, he's good. Get you, I've got a quote. You'll get your own seat in the cockpit. You'll be in control of at least five buttons. Crady, don't be pathetic. He's hardly going to be impressed at the prospect of being in charge of a few buttons. Five, you say? <laughs> That's five whole buttons. <laughs> Are some of them illuminated? <laughs> Let's see. I've got another one. Um, if somebody else... Does anybody else have any? Uh, I only have the one. Try. My, my oh, quote's oh. been ruined in the feedback, so I'm not going to bother. Oh. Let's see. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. At least we're going to miss. We're not going to have three parters, so the complication to feedback is going to go away for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, I guess you know, I'm guessing now because I could not figure out for the life of me. I'm guessing the whole CGI complaint thing was more about the blue midget scene. Because seriously, guys, we watched the first episode. There was less than half a second of the red dwarf actually shown, except for the shot that we had already seen in the previous episode. Um. <laughs> And everybody was like, man, the CG is ruining this season, and it's horrible. And it's like, what is... what CG? I mean, they had the flying rat thing, but Red Dwarf doesn't seem that different, and what's going on? Okay, now I think I get more where it's coming from, but it was throwing yeah, us what, off. <laughs> yeah, I, me included, a lot of us fell into the trap of... When it comes to special effects, you kind of just think of it as on a series basis, and it's kind of not really... Sp- a spoiler to know that that's just what you know this series looks like with the special effects because mm-hmm. you know you have that consistent feel across every series um oh it's the late 90s yeah CG. and and like i say a lot of people very attached to physical effects um 
acting I'm not so much quite. yeah that's it it's about it, it's it's about perception i guess and well and, i mean and i, I own biases yeah i always admired the model work but you know what if the writing is there i don't really care about special effects at all um i'll give you like uh the end of buffy season three the mayor snake demon looked awful it was awful oh, yeah. it was laughable mm-hmm. but you know what the writing was there and i i don't remember that badly at all i remember that okay that's a disappointing special effect doesn't really change my perception of the episode yeah um but yeah if if the writing's not there then and you're forced to pay attention to things like special effects then i guess that's and the writing wasn't there this episode i, I mean clearly um mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> but yeah if i was to compare it to anything very quickly it would be Maybe the feeling that Star Wars fans had at the re- digitally remastered versions in '97. No. Yeah. Oh. It's it's like it's like it's a replacement. Like mm. you feel like something superior is being replaced by something inferior, and because you've got that immediate comparison, yeah. I think that's where a lot of the a lot of the very strong feelings come from. That makes sense. If, makes sense. if Disney will just release the original work that's cleaned up, but not added scenes or yeah. digitally remastered then I don't think they can actually he claims yeah. that I, he, no, Lucas has claimed that they used up the original film in doing the doing yeah. the I, I don't believe <laughs> That's it bull. I don't believe it yeah that the is... original somewhere at the time Star Wars released everything was sent to cinemas on film so the original somewhere yeah. everywhere um, yeah. And nobody takes the master copy and cuts it up into pieces to add special. No, I don't believe it. No. This is the guy who testified before Congress because he was sick of Ted Turner colorizing black and white movies. Mm-hmm. And now he's claiming that he destroyed the original version of his films that won Oscars for their special effects. No, I don't believe it. No. He's being a git about it, but they're out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my... Oh, I had another quote, though. Um, (laughs) I suspect he may have access to the crew's confidential files. We also believe he may be in possession of a virus which makes him incredibly attractive to the opposite sex. This is obviously a remarkable serum, and as a responsible senior officer of the Space Corps, it's imperative I gain possession of this solution and use some myself. (laughs) There's a few Hollister ones, actually. Very, Very nice impression. Thank you. I'll take I'll take that. Where's the other one? I'm sorry, sir, we lost it. Smack. Damn it, River, I wanted that. Maybe <laughs> the lab boys wanted that. <laughs> I like I like the term lab boys, like they're in some sort of cop show. Yeah. Yeah. Send it down to the lab boys. <laughs> We're sending you up the river. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're overdone. Cahoots in this town, you see? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, right. I love McDonald freaking out. He's brilliant at it. Oh. If you know anyone that's got copies of old Shreepop Louisiana broadcasts of Bozo, please let me know. I want to see him as Bozo the Clown. Oh. I've got a feeling he was remarkably good at it. Yeah. Probably. We didn't We didn't have Bozo the Clown uh, on our um, public access and local programming. We had um, Uncle Bunky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was just a local guy around northeast Mississippi. And, yeah, he made balloon animals. Uncle Bunky. Mm. Oh, well. Bunky sounds like Binky out of Garfield. Hold on. A bit, yeah. Hey, kids! Um, Mm. Okay. Anyway, I'm sure you want to know what next week's episode is called. 
Uh, if it's called uh, Back in the Red Part 4, we may have a problem. <laughs> Just saying. It's called Backwards Revisited. Oh. oh. Otherwise known as Forward. <laughs> Tell us about it. It's called Cassandra. Cassandra. Cassandra, the prophetess yes, who... Yes, predict the future, purchase. but nobody would believe her. Yeah. Ah, and now they have knowledge yeah. into the future of Red Dwarf, and no one believes them. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Possible, possible. Or it could just be a random chick named Cassandra, but... No, yeah, I get. I like this theory, because... Well, they already have warned them about the drive plates, but there could be other yeah. things coming up. Um, they try to warn the crew of impending disaster... Uh, and they're they're not believed. Now I, I will say that I have a theory that um stop that. No. Um but I have a theory that Kachansky and Crichton are sharing a bunk since he is classified as female. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. I don't know where they put cat. What what did she say? He doesn't have a steak and potatoes, peas and carrots, or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> steak pie, peas and chips. Oh, I was yeah. close. Um, I'm actually embarrassed that I remember this episode that well. Oh, no, that was a previous <laughs> must episode. Be, it must be trauma related. I, I count all three as the one. Oh, I see. Well, if they were all one, I mean, there's maybe. If it were recut very carefully, I think there's probably two episodes worth of pretty good content here. Maybe. Like I said... Well, Shane the, mentioned that is, there is a director's cut version where it's mm. put down into a, a sort of TV movie type format. Yeah, although from what he said, they cut out the parts that we liked. So, <laughs> Largely, yes. <laughs> anyway, well, you know, we will see then. I think Angela and I have pretty much the same theory this time. So we will see if our prophetess theory is correct. In the meantime, we have to thank uh, Darren uh, for joining us. Uh, what time is it there, Darren? Uh, just went 6.40 in the morning. Wow. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us then. And Jonathan, good to have you back as well. Thank you very much. And yes, uh, join us next time where we hope for a better episode. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.